A picture is worth a thousand words. But for interior design projects, that statement is especially true. The polished stage images of the finished spaces set a benchmark for current trends and become vivid inspiration for what is to come. But behind those pictures, there are stories waiting to be told. And as interior designers, we're accustomed to celebrating the end of the project. All the final touches are in place, installation is complete, and hopefully we have an ecstatic, happy client. But what about the process? The complex journey and people behind the polished and finessed final result? Welcome to Once Upon a Project, a new show from the Surround Podcast Network by Sandow. In this series, we dig deep into process, what it actually takes to bring a project from a designer's imagination to the finish line. Through often unseen challenges and trials, we'll be introducing designers from vastly different backgrounds. They will reflect on the masterful, the magical, and yes, even those messy moments that all converge to bring a project to fruition and result in those glossy portfolio images. I'm your host, AJ Perron, design futurist and executive vice president at Sandow Design Group, delivering design brands you know and love like Interior Design Magazine, Metropolis Magazine, Lux Interiors and Design, Think Lab, and more. So for today's project, the design of 37,000 square feet of hospitality space for the iconic New York Yankee Stadium, or as the fans call it, the house that Ruth built, Yankee Stadium first opened in 1923, but after years of discussions and rumors, the team finally announced plans for a new home in June of 2005. And so, on a sunny Wednesday afternoon in August 2006, in the presence of legendary player Yogi Berra and avid fans including Billy Crystal, ground was finally broken on a site adjacent to the historic stadium. The Yankees financed the $1.6 billion project, and the city of New York spent $220 million for infrastructure and other improvements. So it was a big project. So now, let's head to Toronto, Canada, to sit down with Keith Brushbrook and Dan Menchins from the luxury hospitality firm 2x4 Design, who led this extraordinary project. Hi, I'm Dan Menchins, one of the partners at 2x4 Design. And I'm the other half, Keith Rushberg from 2x4 Design. Dan and I met through the industry through a tile rep. Dan was working for another firm. He applied for a position there. I was the one to interview him, but he didn't show. I didn't ghost him. There was no such thing as yeah. ghosting back then. I canceled the interview. <laughs> So then a couple of years later, the company that I was working with, Dan applied for an interview. I'm like, oh, that's, that's what Dan looks like. The funniest story is that I was interviewed by Keith's studio for a position there. I had left the studio, walked out, and I'm walking up the street and a bird craps on my head. Keith and his coworkers are walking behind me and I'm like, oh my God, I can't turn around. How embarrassing. When a bird poops on you, it's good luck. Dan was offered a freelance job and uh, he called me and he asked if I would like to help. So I did. And that's when we realized we had something incredibly special. Both companies we were working for were international companies. The company I worked for was American with the satellite office here in Canada. Unfortunately, it was just during those early recession years. The company closed down. 
and the company that Keith worked for closed down. And so we were kind of just thrown into this uh, in a way, but in a very fortunate way. When we started our firm 32 years ago, we had $500 between the two of us. We spent it all on business cards. My father was horrified because we had no money. But that got us our very first job. Somebody yeah. saw it, saw our business card and went, wow, this is really cool. Give these guys a call. And back then in the days of shoulder pads and hairspray in the, <laughs> in the early nineties, we were the nightclub and, and, and restaurant guys. We really learned early on about the hospitality business and doing environmental spaces for hospitality and for the engagement of people. We, we are commercial designers. I would say that first and foremost, we do large, large spaces, hundreds of thousands, millions of square feet of, of spaces for the public primarily in large volume. We're not just owner operators. We're actually in the trenches. We're hands on people and we love it that way. And I, that's the only way we know. And as far as our relationship goes, this is it living together, working together, traveling together. This is just what we do. We have a great relationship. We just got married after almost 33 <laughs> years of being together. Longest engagement ever. <laughs> so back in 2006, the phone rang, said it's, it's the client that we worked with when we were doing the Toronto Hilton project. When Rustin was finishing the project, he called me on his very last day, last phone call and said, Keith, I'm leaving. I'll be going to work with Tishman Spire in New York City. I will be in touch. Seven years later, the phone rings and it's Rustin. He said, do you like baseball? I said, no, actually I don't. I don't like baseball at all. I'm not a fan. He said, so I guess you don't want to work on Yankee Stadium. And I'm like, I am your biggest baseball fan. He said, would you and Dan like to fly down to New York City and meet the executive team? A couple of weeks later, Dan and I flew off to New York City to meet Rustin and the executive team. And Valerie Pelcher walked in the room from Tishman Spire and we had, we had never met Valerie. And instantly she, when she walked in the room, Valerie, Dan and I hit it off just like friends we've known for many, many, many years, instant friends. And it was so funny. We were chatting and laughing and giggling away. And finally Russ was like, hi, Dan and Keith, Valerie, there's other people here want to get the meeting going. So the very first meeting just started off. Brilliant. It was a sign of really, really great, yeah. great things to come. Yeah. And because we had never met them before, we brought a portfolio of our work, which was fantastic. So we were able to show them the diversity of the types of work we were doing from restaurants and clubs and, and all of these spaces in retail. They loved what we did. So they gave us an opportunity to design these spaces. So it was about 37,000 square feet of hospitality driven space, everything from private restaurants, private club areas, to conference facilities. They were downsizing the seat count in the stadium, but they were increasing the hospitality or the public space to bring more revenue to the stadium, which was a really great way to think about business. So these particular areas that we were asked to design, a lot of it would be public spaces, even when the stadium wasn't being used by a game. We had never, ever designed a stadium before. This was our first and, you know, bless the client for, for having the foresight to, to hire us to do this. But, you know, part of the reason why we get the job is we think outside the box. We don't think literal. Some typical hospitality designers, we've taken a baseball bat and used it as table leg. 
or a baseball glove for a chair. That's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a really interesting urban style, New York appeal to these hospitality spaces. We were really inspired by everything from the game, the textiles of the uniforms, the colors, the material of the baseball bat, material of the baseball, what's it made of leather, all that, and not taking it literal, but using it for the inspiration. So how did they take this inspiration and run with it? Where do you even begin with a project of this magnitude? It wasn't just like, hey, design these spaces. There was such an incredible marketing brief to start with. There were guidelines, not rules, but guidelines. So it wasn't though we were just like, hey, run, go, free. We knew it had to have so many seats that to accommodate X number of people, tables had to be turned over and accommodate. So it wasn't just us, but behind that, there's a lot of very strategy and programming. We're dealing with a smart, educated client, so made it really easy for us to sort of follow and navigate the path that they needed us to do. And we had, I don't know, a few weeks, a month, whatever it was, to pull a concept together. We set these all up, all these beautiful presentations. So it's not only just a visual presentation, but it's actually a tactile presentation. So lots of touchy-feely kind of moments for the clients to experience when we were presenting this work. We had all these amazing samples made, work with artisans and craftspeople, metal workers, glass workers, woodworkers from all across North America to produce really interesting samples and materials that we had designed for this particular project, various types of new sample boards. Yeah. We do full on like four foot by four foot, big on, big on samples, which is great. You know, packaged up, created all this stuff off, shipped it all off to New York City. We did some amazing things with the New York Yankee logo, which is so iconic. With their branding and their logo and reinterpreted that and three-dimensional cutouts and flipping the logo. And we took a logo and turned it into almost a textile graphic, this huge, you know, reversing flipping. It was all about this. And we thought, how fantastic. Like, I, I really hope they, they like this. And all of a sudden, someone turns to us at the end of the presentation and says, ah, you're not allowed to uh, manipulate the intellectual property of the New York Yankees logo. And we're just like, like what? Jaw drop, silence. And the whole room is just like, <laughs> crickets. What were we thinking? And then the head guy said, but I absolutely think what you've done is brilliant. So what could have been a really horrible situation, being very naive at the time and not understanding intellectual property and logo branding turned out in our favor. Eventually they turned it into tissue paper for wrap. They turned it into the, the inside of bags and on and on and on, but lesson learned, but it turned into something amazing. And we got to use the motif in the actual installations of some of the areas in, in the stadium. Of course, this project was a challenge at many levels. Not only were the scale and size enormous, but Dan and Keith also had to create intimate personal experiences that were not standard for a public stadium project. Well, at least not yet. We were designing one of the bars in the lower level of the Legend Suite Club, which is a 25,000 square foot private member space that's multifunctional. So it's an event space, the buffet area. It could be rented out for private events. So it's just multi-multifunctional. Legend Suite Club is accessible from the interior of the stadium. It has 
the interior walls is fully glazed that overlooks the stadium field. So right then and there, it's like, what more could you ask for? Window to the world of baseball, which is fantastic. 25,000 square feet to Canadian boys is a lot of hospitality. We don't have populations that large to fill those spaces. When you're dealing with 700 and 900 seating capacity, it's like, oh my God. The stone bar was this huge bar, and uh, we selected this beautiful natural blue granite stone from Europe. They loved it so much, they flew our team over to handpick the slabs to make sure that the right blue was in the slabs that we were selecting for this. There's only one Yankee blue, and you can't deviate from the Yankee blue. Oh, so they will never forget Everything it. has to be that one color in it. Pantone 289C, never forget that number. You don't get close to it, you have to match it. That's how incredible the detail and how authentic they wanted the spaces to be. Hi, Surround listeners. It's me, Amanda Schneider, host of Design Nerds Anonymous. And I've got exciting news to share. Another mini series of DNA is on the way. With the help of my fellow podcaster, Kaylin Reed from the Alternative Design Podcast with Kimball International, we'll be sharing nuanced insights from recent research conducted across four vertical markets, corporate, education, healthcare, and hospitality. Think of this as your prequel to season six launching this fall. Our topic is the future of customer decision-making. We're hearing that project decisions around the built environment are taking longer. And we wanted to know why. So we explored with your customers, and we're very excited to share the results with you. Dropping before Neocon to give you updated data, better tools, and new questions to drive conversation. We're here to facilitate dialogue that helps our industry and beyond streamline that decision-making. So make sure to follow Design Nerds Anonymous, subscribe, and then tune in on May 16th for the first episode in this four-part series. All right, bye for now. When the whole world is watching, or at least all of New York, the devil is in all of the details. And for Yankee Stadium, those details better be exactly Pantone color 289C. We were having these beautiful glass panels. These are panels that surround a glass staircase that leads you from the upper part of one of the restaurant areas to the lower part. Just a beautiful, beautiful sort of transition into space. So this staircase was always referred to as the blue cube. In between the glass panels is fused and laminated a transparent panel screen material. So we're having these infused in these like four foot by 10 foot panels in the US. And every time they fuse these three surfaces together, the these actual sample was melting in between the two sandwich pieces of glass. And they were having issues with it. So I had to fly down and work with the teeth to figure out how that sort of film or that laminate piece between the two glass was going to work. We finally got it perfect. It's the exact same shade of blue that we needed. So, you know, it's just before opening and this whole blue cube sample has been approved. The, the Tishman Spire team, everything's been signed off. The panels are installed. I get a phone call from Jenny Steinbrenner. She's George Steinbrenner's daughter saying, the blue is wrong. It looks green. What have you done? And they're, they're so upset. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just, 
prepping <laughs> at this point. I don't know if I should say that. I get on site and they're, they're adjusting and they're lighting these panels. And I said, you know what's wrong? It's the color temperature of the lamp that you're using to light these panels. So it changed what was this beautiful blue into almost a turquoise when they got on site. Lo and behold, that's all it was. Now that the color crisis was averted, what were the other challenges Dan and Keith had to deal with? The most challenging was the um, dugout lounge. This is, there are little spaces underneath the stadium called the dugout lounges. There's two of them. These are my favorites. And these two little dugout lounges are basically concrete bunkers that typically would be just storage spaces for whatever in a stadium. You're underneath the bleachers, so the ceiling is on an angle. One side is eight feet. The other side is 14. 14. So in this wedge shaped, and it also curves in plan. It was just like awkward. What do we do? Unusual. And it actually worked out really well. So the low side became the dugout with like hanging out with, you know, with Babe Ruth and all the guys with these beautiful photo murals. So you really felt like you were part of this history. And this is where we use the old vintage archive photography. We found this amazing photo of Lou Gehrig looking at these five baseball bats. And then some of the players in the dugout, uh, really cool old sort of vintage photography. And we brought this as part of our presentation. And we said, you know, can we use these? And said, we don't own the rights to those. I said, oh, okay, so how do we do this? So they had to go and buy the rights to the photography in order to use them in the spaces that we actually had them placed for. We did these super size, what they call backlit Durotrans or backlight imagery in retail. We did huge wraparound walls of some of the players that were larger than life in the dugout, looking back at you within these spaces. And then there were bars set up here and grab and go areas. And so that again, had part of you, you get up from your seat, you have to have visibility, hear the games, smell the games, watch the game within these spaces. So cleverly positioning all of the uh, digital media and AV throughout the space. They were really great spaces that typically would be so underutilized. I think that was a very clever thing that we did. There were these beautiful glass drink reel pods that were lit in the center that just floated in the center of these spaces and the rooms. And you'd put your cocktail on there and it would just beer. Blow. It was beautiful. Beer, your, your beer, story. Your beer and your hot dog. Your beer and your hot dog. <laughs> or your nachos. There's just really clever little moments like that and unexpected moments that you would traditionally, I don't think, see in a stadium. I think this was probably one of the first stadiums that ever offered this type of facility or these types of facilities at this level. So I think we set precedence for a lot of stadiums that came after this. The NYY Steak restaurant that we designed for uh, the Hard Rock team is publicly accessible. This is really cool. So in the steakhouse, they have this on entry, and this is part of our program. We have to detail this in. Uh, is a, I'm going to call it an armoire, a vertical armoire of steak knives. And they're all on display individually uh, on the wall. And each steak knife has a name on it. And behind the steak knife is the same name. So if the steak knife is removed from that wall, that means that play or that celebrity is dining in the restaurant at that time. How cool is that? One of the challenges, we did this beautiful bronze, etched bronze 
backlit glass wall with 86 signatures that were approved by the Yankees executive team. That took forever. That took almost a year for them to actually approve the names that would be almost these permanent signatures on a wall detail for us. And who were the signatures? And I, the signatures were not only of the players, but they were part of the administrative team, the, the owners. They had to select those people. And that was a really key factor in that particular restaurant as well. That was a really great program for that restaurant. Dan and Keith brought this stadium into a new era. They created an elevated style, an elegance without losing the reverence and lineage of the Yankee legacy. To watch an old building being demolished at the same time as the new one was being built was really interesting. I got to see the old stadium for the first time when it was basically demolished. I got to walk on the grounds and the mounds of the dirt that was there from all of those players. It was amazing. It was almost it was, it was ghostly in a way. It was almost majestic when you're walking and standing in this stadium and half the seats were removed at that time. You could see people coming in. They would allow some of the public to come in and take pieces of the stadium, the old stadium with them. So people were grabbing the dirt, the mound dirt, and taking that in jars with them. And then looking across Kitty Corner and watching the new stadium being built, it was so surreal in a way and majestic. And uh, it's like there's a new home for a purpose that's being built here. So let me ask you something. When you're standing in the old, because we, I mean, yeah, we work together, but you know what? We don't always talk about everything, but this is a great opportunity to ask to, for me to ask Dan a question. When you're standing in the old stadium watching it, did you realize the importance of what we were doing? Yes, I did actually. Oh. You know, being surrounded by the owners of the Yankees, the developers of the stadium, and you're with these people and, and you know, we are a small firm at the time given a really important opportunity here to create a landmark property and be part of history, which was pretty amazing. You get very emotional at the same time. So at the time when designing this, I think I stood there and you almost want to cry because there's such an emotional connection to it. Design is an emotional experience. It truly is e emotional. And when we're talking about these things, of course, we have these Oprah moments. And even when we're designing, we still do. And it's, you know, 32 years later, we still like lose our marble to get incredibly emotional. The emotion and passion for the project these two men have is palpable. In fact, they both teared up as they shared their story. And I'm not surprised. Many times we don't realize the stress we encounter every day when we're working on a project that takes years to build. These projects really are a labor of love. And then one day, you see something, you feel something, you hear something about the impact of your design. And then all the feelings come running at you like a ton of bricks. The opening day was April 16th, 2009. It's a really good feel-good moment. You know, there's no greater moment than being in a space that we designed and nobody knows that we designed it. And just watching people and just seeing the dugout loud people, you know, taking photos with all the guys, the big, huge graphic. Dan and I there, just like, wow, we actually, we actually did this. And brought many along the journey. 
I'm going to call it an international project because we were in Canada. There were Canadian manufacturers. There were American manufacturers. There were European installers. Like, I mean, it was just a really great international diverse melting pot of cultures. I remember taking a flight over New York and the pilot was flying over the stadium at some point. It's like, oh my God, we were involved with that. We were a small part of of a little piece of history there. And it's like, wow, you know, to work with such an iconic classic brand that everyone in the world knows that we had the opportunity to be involved with such an incredible brand that lives on and live on for generations. Oh my God, what a phenomenal, incredible, humbling experience. You know, this is, this is a while ago that this was designed, but it, it's, it's that important in our careers and in our current jobs. We did something incredibly important. Keith and I have many stories about many projects, but this one we felt was really significant because it was two of us that started the project. Turning point in our life. What we learned today from Dan and Keith is that looking at a project in a different way helps create something new that becomes a standard, an expectation for the next type of space you go into. It literally becomes the benchmark. I love their stories about their impact and how emotionally connected they were to this project and so passionate. And they really didn't care a whole lot about baseball at first but they do care about the experience, the inclusion, accessibility that people really need to have to come into a space that can pull us all together. I'm happy to say Dan and Keith have a much greater appreciation for the sport and they're now baseball fans. Once Upon a Project is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Discover more shows from Surround at surroundpodcasts.com. This episode of Once Upon a Project was produced and edited by Sandow Design Group. Special thanks to the podcast production team, Hannah Vitti, Wise Grisette, and Samantha Sager. I'm your host, AJ Perrone. Thank you for your time in listening to Once Upon a Project. I can't wait to catch you on our next adventure together. <laughs>